Welcome to the GNT Show. All right, welcome everyone to a belated GNT show. Uh, first off, our apologies. Uh, nephew Kyle, aka G, we had some technical difficulties last week insofar as G's Commodore 64 shit itself. And so as a result, he's now moved on to an Atari and he's joining us from Belmore. G, how are you? The Atari ST, I'm pretty good, other than having to um, get a new hard drive. But lucky I was able to salvage my personal data, which is great. So, And salvage last week's recording, luckily enough. I've still got a few of the IT skills, even though I'm struggling to turn on a PC at the moment. Pretty good after that. I was a bit worried. And I think um, my computer decided to um, channel the spirit of Ivan Cleary and shit itself before the big game. No, the computer channeled the spirit of its owner, I think you'll find, in shitting itself. And uh, may I say, your internet connection from the Belmore car park is much stronger this week as well, G. Now, for our listeners, we will be releasing the pre-grand final pod. We will release that just ahead of the 2021 grand final, uh, just as soon as the Commodore 64 has enough RAM in it at 512 kilobytes for G to complete the editing. What what about the old cassette deck? Can I use the cassette deck? You're going to use the five and (laughs) one quarter inch floppy disk. You've got to use 12 disks. That was advanced. The cassette deck was better. Excellent. All right. Well, what can we say? I mean, what you will see on that grand final uh, preview pod when it comes out next year is that, G went great job in predicting the result. You said, from memory, you said Melbourne Storm by six and Ryan Pappenhuysen was going to be the Clive Churchill medalist and you were spot on. Yeah, um, I just felt that he was the X factor there and if Melbourne were going to come out on top, I just knew he'd play a massive part and because he's so influential, I thought he'd get the Clive Churchill medal. A lot of the other Melbourne players are far more solid other than him and Addo Carr, so if they were to win the game, I thought Pappenheisen would have would have done some amazing things and I mean, it was 22-0, but you know, Penrith sort of weren't not in the game. They weren't they didn't capitalize on the opportunities and then after half time he scored that, you know, 80 meter try and just basically killed the game off. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the Panthers and the the Storm obviously this week, but uh also I went out to the game as you know. So it was great to see live footy again. I've got to be honest with you. And by all accounts, I didn't miss too much in the commentary box. Apparently, it was quite parochial. That's that's one way to put it. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting at the ground. Because you see the whole field, you get a different perception of the tactics and what's going on. And I had reasonably good seats because I was in the members section at ANZ. And the storm were just too experienced for mine. They made a lot more interchanges through the forward er, forwards early on in the game because they were under the cosh so early, and which is why they tired towards the back end. They strategically used a couple of head injury assessments during the game to get a couple of extra subs in. Um, and every time there was a penalty or a stoppage in play, Cam Smith would slow the game down, either with a conversation with the ref or whatever else, giving the Storm an opportunity to catch its breath. It was just the experience of playing in a grand final between Smith and Bellamy that really proved the difference, whereas the Panthers were helter-skelter. And they actually didn't look like they were getting dominated, but every time, in that, particularly in that first half, every time Melbourne had a chance, they scored. Uh, whether it be the Vunavalu intercept, which was a terrible pass, the Olam penalty try, uh, which I thought I thought was a little bit rough, but at the ground I thought it was a little bit rough. It was absolutely a penalty try according to the rules, but I just think if anyone goes to try and kick the ball out while scoring a try, you're not going to get it much cleaner than... What I think Tyrone May got it then. On the commentary, Phil Gould said it was unlucky, but he actually 
deliberately stuck out his leg and tried to poke the ball out. It was very obvious. But he got the ball. He did get the ball, but... Um, it wasn't like the Billy Slater one. Remember with the Billy Slater one where he missed it and kicked the bloke? Yeah, but that's okay. Billy Slater does that stuff. He t- it's the ball and the man, not both. Ball of the man or both. He takes out both. And, and um, the old soccer, soccer tactics. Did you, did, can I just, just, just for our listeners, did you watch the game or are you still catching up? I'm still catching up. I'm just not sure what your technology situation is. Yeah. It's, um, my whole house has just fallen apart. No, it was, as you say, by the rules, it was definitely a penalty try. You couldn't really argue with that. And he did kick at the ball. He got the ball, but you're not allowed to do it. And he would have scored otherwise. So... The tries were had a little tinge of luck to each of them, but to be honest, like you said, Melbourne just took advantage of every opportunity they have, and that's the thing. They're a very clinical side. Well, the Pappenheisen try didn't have a stroke of luck. That was just Tyrone May and Nathan Cleary missing the tackle. I, I thought it was Nathan Cleary's worst game all year. Other than that try, he was guilty of the Mitchell Moseses, which was overplaying his hand. He, For example, the Vunavalu intercept, he could have gone through the hands. They had the numbers there. Instead, he tried to throw the... the a miracle pass and it wasn't a flat cut out pass it came out of the hand wrong and it really looped giving Vunavalu a chance to catch the ball and intercept and score and what about the the strength and the speed and the skill to lose your footing and then get back up and outrun the defense to score a try so sensational effort. and that's the thing isn't it he's he's big he's strong he's very fast and he showed all of that in that in that try in, that, in terms of shrugging off the tackles and then speeding away from everybody and, and um, running the length of the field. A few thoughts I have on this game beyond that. Honestly, I thought Ivan Cleary dropping Brent Naden for the preliminary final and the grand final was a terrible decision in every way. He can justify it all he wants, but to me, what it showed his team is that I'm going risk-averse after we've won 17 games in a row, but I really think it hampered their attack in both games, and they weren't as clinical as they were during the year. And, you know, when what, what message are you sending your team when you say, hey, we're going to a more solid option rather than the guy that's been hasn't lost played in a losing side all year and is one of your more dangerous attackers. He's allowed to have a bad game. I just think that it was a terrible decision and it, it cost them a lot in the grand final. At the start of the game, there were a couple of opportunities on each um, wing, especially that one where May got the ball. And May is very skillful and a solid player, but there was a couple of opportunities with space where if Naden had got that, Penrith would have scored without a doubt because the defense wouldn't have had time to recover. But May, he just didn't have the speed. And it, it cost them tremendously. And I agree with the reasons why you picked him. But what you gave up in def- what you gave up in attack wasn't worth what you gained in defence with Tyrone May, particularly in the grand final when I thought he didn't have a great game. Right, he responsible for the penalty try. He was responsible for the right hand edge where Pappenhausen went through. He didn't have a great game, in my opinion. What else did you take out of this game, G? I think that was a great the great point you make in that yes, they did gain something in defence, but the thing is, he was. He's a solid player. He's not the most speedy guy in the world. But then he's up against Ado Carr and Pappenheisen and Olam. You're not going to cover them with someone who's a little bit slow laterally, you know, especially out. It exposes Tyrone May's deficiencies with the speed Melbourne has. Um, my takeaway from the game is I think that was a massive one. I think it was a really stupid move by Cleary. And I don't think he's gotten enough grief over it, to be quite honest. It was a Brian Smith move in the grand final. That's what it was to me. You think he overthought it? He overthought it because he's trying to minimise the risk. Yes, Naden made one or two errors against the Roosters, but let's be honest, Penrith blew the Roosters away. And like you said at the time, the the score stayed close, but it wasn't really a reflection of the game. So you've got Penrith, who after a shoddy start at the start, you know, a bit of nerves, they blew the the two-time defending premiers away off the field. 
And then all of a sudden you make changes because you've overthought it and want to minimize any possible error in a bigger game. But you saw when Naden came on, yes, he missed the odd tackle still, but the thing is he's fast enough to recover A. And secondly, he made Penrith dangerous on both sides. So when they started throwing the ball around, Melbourne then had to defend both sides of the field really carefully because they could bust them on either, either side. And uh, your point about Ivan Cleary over... Um, Ivan... He overplayed his hand, but Nathan Cleary overplaying his hand, I never thought of it that way, but if I reflect on the game, I think that's a very, very good observation you make because he did kind of try to control everything a bit too much, and I think he did have the Mitchell Moses in that in that game a little bit. I just thought Melbourne, like you say, the experience, they've been there before most of them. They kind of know how to handle the occasion, and they were clinical with their opportunities is what my observation was too because Penrith were on top and were making inroads, but they didn't quite have the incisiveness, but they weren't quite getting the easy tries. And then Melbourne, you know, penalty try off the kick, whenever they were in field position, they scored. The, even the Cam Smith try, knocked out of his hand. By Api Carousel, yeah. Yeah, you know, went through the gap and then scored a try. Um, and then the intercept, like you say, and it's 22-0. If the game was over, if the game finished at halftime... Cam Smith was Clive Churchill medalist. He had a great first half. Looks like he was carrying a fairly serious injury as well. So he's been taking painkilling injections for weeks, apparently, and uh, they've been trying to keep it out of the press and keep it out of the eye so so that the other opposition teams didn't target it. So he's like fine wine, right? He's just like fine wine, Cam Smith. Um, it's his sixth grand final win, fourth premiership, if not counting the well, not counting the two that got taken away. They're counted. For the salary cap breach, breaches. Uh, not for Parramatta supporters, they're not. <laughs> Come on, man. You guys were cheating the cap four or five years ago with the team that came last. Yeah, we were cheating the cap with the team that came last. I was happy to take whatever penalty they they were giving. (laughs) I I look back. I remember. I remember. You've lost all your four points for this season. Thanks. I remember looking back and I go, I'm going, how did we end up? Who are we paying? That's that's over the cap. Like, who's getting this money? I'm cynical. I think most teams kind of dodge around it. But I thought... Jesus, para, like, if you're going to be that much over, like, buy some players. <laughs> like, who are we paying? Like, who's, who's getting the money? I don't understand it. I'm looking at that team going, God, I don't understand who's getting it. I, I, I count those wins. I thought Melbourne in those two years were just phenomenal, and I don't think anything's changed. And my reflections were Penrith, I think once they got a f- f- an easier balance at the back end of the second half and they started probably playing a little bit more free-flowing football, they were able to rack up points pretty quick. Um, but I do think some of it was Melbourne trying to manage the game as well. It was a little bit of both. You know, they kind of lost their mojo after struggling to just break that line. And all of a sudden, like you say, they're down 20 nil, and your confidence gets zapped, you know? Yeah, that's fair enough. Now, the Panthers did come back in the game in the second half as Melbourne, one, I think Melbourne tired. And two, some of the passes started to stick and Stephen Crichton started to step on the inside of Brenko Lee. Um, which which he got rewarded with his amazing defence this year with an origin call up, and straight, and straight into the starting lineup. I mean, he just couldn't tackle off his he couldn't make contact off his left shoulder. Stephen Crichton just kept step, stepping inside him. Yeah, and I know you're a, you're a big fan of Brinko Lee's defence, but um, you you notice in the second half when they got a little bit deeper and Crichton was able to have a little bit of space on him, he was just stepping in too way too easily. And Jerome Luai had a better second half, right? It was just it was just too little, too late. And then, of course, there was the sin binnings, Jerome Hughes and Brandon Smith. And I've got to say, at the ground with three seconds to go and declining the kick and 13 on 11, you thought, man, they're a chance of going length of the field 13 on 11. And if they score and they get it back to 26 all 
and Melbourne have to play extra time with 11 players. There was only ever going to be one winner at that point. It got closer than you think. Watching that game, it did get closer, and I had a feeling Penrith might, but you know what actually was did show up significantly for Penrith in that game once it got a bit tight? Dylan Edwards is a significant weakness. He had a good season, but I reckon Dylan Edwards is just a really consistent, although he dropped a few bombs, but typically he's quite safe. He'll get you 150 metres. He's good on kick returns. He doesn't miss many tackles. He'll take the bombs. But he's what what if you go back to that 2015 Jersey flag team, Brent Naden was playing fullback. And I think Brent... And, and what Brent Naden does is he's a little bit like Latrell Mitchell. He's not as... Probably not as safe or as reliable as Dylan Edwards. He's not. But, no, he's but, definitely but not. But he's, he's a game-breaker. He can actually give you a bit of magic that I think... Penrith needed in that first half, right? A dummy, a fend, a step over the line. It's twenty-two-six, and if it was twenty-two-six at halftime, they 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 might have they might have got a draw out of the game and into extra time. Who knows, right? Can you believe that you and I are thinking the same thing here? Because watching that game, like you said, they they kind of were covered in all areas, and Edwards just didn't add anything. He didn't, and also when you look at when Vunivalu made that break. Edwards was just not even fast enough to get anywhere near him. Whereas if you got a speedier fullback, he probably would have ran Vunivalu down. And you could see that that level, like you say, he just didn't have anything that he could add that was to that team. Whereas I look probably even at Dane Laurie. I mean, you can't throw him in at the grand final. He, he played a couple of games with the Panthers. But if you had him, for example, in somewhere like that, maybe he could make a break or follow the ball. Whereas Edwards just didn't offer much like you say he's safe he's solid he plays hard he's enthusiastic but you know in those big games I just think if Penrith had a fullback that added more thrust to their attack it would have given them a different look and it would have troubled Melbourne they just didn't quite have enough I wonder if you swap Brent Naden and Dylan Edwards I wonder if Dylan Edwards he's a bit too small to play right center but but um you know I, I agree I think Brent Naden's best positions at fullback um, I think the Panthers have got a huge salary cap issue coming up. The rumour is that Matt Burton's going to go to the, the dogs. The rumour is my neighbour's going to the dogs at the moment. I think we're just buying anybody that walks past Belmore. It's like, hey, do you want to play? <laughs> play? I mean, unless your neighbour is across between Ricky Stewart and Andrew Johns, it's not going to help. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> so, I do think they're a better chance of having a dynasty now that they've lost the game. I said that to you during the week. And the reason why I said that is because there's an incent- it didn't come as easily. There is a final hurdle now. They, they have got something that's, that they've got something to play for now. They might not want to leave the club till, till the business is finished. So I wonder, I wonder if they, if I was the Panthers, I'd play on 1991. I'd make my jersey like 1991 with the chocolate and the horizontal stripes and everything like that and really play on it. I'd have a different player from the 91 team coming in to give a speech at each game, giving the debutants their jerseys. And, and really, this is our year theme and, and try and keep everyone together around that. I reckon that that's, there is, there is shades of 1990 to this for the Penrith Panthers. But um, if they can keep everyone together for next year, I, I really do think they're going to give it a fair shake. I think you make a good point. And just today, I just read that Isaiah Yo looks like he's going to re-sign with the Panthers despite um, Trent Barrett trying to offer him five houses around Sydney and God knows what else because we, we're just signing anybody that moves. I think it 
comes back to what you said. He's happy there. There is there a strong side. There's a future of winning there. So it, that's one example of where there's unfinished business, I think. And if the money's relatively close, you know, you, you, you talk about money and after you pay tax and all that other kind of stuff, they're probably thinking, hey, if I'm getting 700K and I know this sounds weird because, you know, that type of money is a lot for a lot of people. But, the, you know, for a player between seven seven fifty. After tax, they're probably thinking, well, for 10 or 15K, it's not going to change my life if I stay at the Panthers. I'm happy here. We're winning. We've got a, a good club and a good culture. You'd stay. You wouldn't leave. Yeah, I think I think that's right. But I mean, that, these players, you can get an injury and be done out of the league, right? Agree. Yeah, I, I, I'm all for, like I said, you know, them getting what they can and, and what they can earn. They, they put their, battle, their bodies through hell. But um, I agree with you in the Pen- Penrith, though. They did have shades of, of a good performance at the grand final, but... Did they have shades of grey? Fifty shades? Probably fifty shades of chocolate in Penrith's Pen- chocolate soldiers. Mind you, you know what? Maybe they should go the light blue jersey because who the hell who came up with a logo with a light blue panther? Like since when was a panther blue? Is this more hard hitting analysis? It is. Look at the old okay. logo, the chocolate soldiers. It's a light blue panther. I think that brings us to the end of the Penrith <laughs> section. What about Melbourne? <laughs> what were your thoughts on Melbourne? Where does Melbourne go to from here? This, is, this has been a team that's been very good for a very, very long time. Uh, look, I thought the three best players on the field were, in no particular order, Ryan Pappenheisen, Nelson Asofa Solomona. Actually, I think he must have gone very close to getting the Clive Churchill. He was sensational. Bent the line every time he ran the ball. So so he, he really got over the... He, he bent them back, right? And there was a few really quick play of the balls. And, and so I thought he was fantastic. And I thought Cameron Smith. Now... Harry Grant and Brandon Smith are the obvious replacements there. Does does Cam Smith come back? Do I think he can come back? Yes. Do I think he actually comes back? Honestly, I don't think he does. I think he's going to retire. I agree with you. I think he will retire. Um, but there, there is rumours going around that he could sign for the Gold Coast Titans just for a one-year swan song. Do you know what? That's actually not... I was going to say a bad room, but that actually makes sense because they actually have let some of their hookers go. They're not strong in that department. They've got kind of makeshift hookers. And it's he's on his way home. He's on the Gold Coast, probably play out, sort the culture out there. Maybe he wants to stay in the coaching um, ranks up at you know the Gold Coast. So that, that would make sense if he was going to play on. But... I'm, I'm tending to think he's going to retire if he doesn't if he doesn't play. I think he's done. I really do. I just think that there was something about him that he just seemed. You know, you watch him in the interviews, and it's almost like he seemed at peace with a decision of sorts. If that makes any sense at all, like he- well, what I've heard is what I've heard is he's actually his computer blew up during the week. His Commodore 64, <laughs> and he wasn't able to listen to us. He's probably got an Amiga. He gets paid enough. Come on. And and apparently not hearing your voice uh, for, in the lead up to the grand final helped him calm down. Oh, that that's probably highly likely. But um, yeah, I just see him in the interviews. He just seems really calm and just... Uh, anyway, I think he's going to ret- retire. And so who plays hooker? Who, ta- who plays hooker? Brandon Smith or Harry Grant? Harry Grant. It's not even close. Harry Grant is a far better hooker. Then Brandon Smith, I think Brandon Smith is an energetic, robust, little cannonball back rower and not a hooker. There you go. You've had it here. You've heard it here first. I think Jerome Hughes was um, came along in leaps and bounds this year. Cam oh, yeah. Munster. You know, they've, they've, they've done such a good job of, uh, you know, re- regenerating that roster. They, they, they really are a real well-run club. <laughs> The rumour is Dave Donaghy, who's resigned now from the Storm, will take over as chief executive at the Brisbane Broncos. And 
the rumour is Craig Bellamy and obviously Kevy Walters, not next year but the year after. Is this a bit of a changing of the guard for Melbourne? The rumour is Jason Riles will take over from Craig Bellamy in 2022. New CEO, Cam Smith not there. It's the first time in a long, long time that the one of the one of the great four is not there. Gaze into your crystal ball if it doesn't break. And what happens to the Melbourne Storm now? Are they now coming back to the pack? Which is funny to say after they won the grand final, right? I think if you look at their success, and again, wonderful achievement to win the grand final, different style of footy, and I think their player development was on show in that grand final. Their attitude as well. You know, there's a couple of things where we talked about Melbourne where Safa Solomona, you know, some of the other props in some of the other clubs, when the ball goes out and then teams try to swing it back in and play the inside ball, a lot of their props get caught out taking a break or huffing and puffing. With Melbourne, you see the biggest guy on the field probably the biggest guy to ever play rugby league, you know, still cutting across and putting in that extra effort to close that gap just in case the ball goes that way. And that's the difference between them and so many other teams. They work as a unit so well and they just do the little tiny bits. You know, I always talk about Aiden Tom and doing the little bits that people don't notice. The thing is, he's one of the few. In Melbourne, they all do it, you know, and it makes them very difficult to beat. In terms of changing of the guard, I felt kind of the same. It almost feels like they're going on a bit of a farewell tour with Cam Smith. Bellamy looks like he's... I'm, I'm, I'm glad you eventually got to the question. I will. That's great. We've got to get there eventually, you know. And I think there's just this, like you say, there's an element of the changing of the guard. There's a feeling to it. You know, See, like you say, CEO's gone. I think Bellamy's going to go. Mine's not a feeling. Mine is, at the ground, they won that grand final because they were more experienced. It reminded me a lot of Parramatta when they came out in 2001 and got blown off the park by Newcastle and then came back in the second half. It reminded me a lot of that. I was at that grand final as well. It was just a young team that was overawed by the occasion and came back. Now, Parramatta weren't able to go on with it and actually had a terrible year the year after. But I don't think this Panthers team is quite wide that way. So I do think there will be a chance that they come back, hang together and follow through with potentially a dynasty or a premiership or, or, or certainly success, some, some level of success. But I think at the ground, it was clear they won that grand final because they were the more experienced side. They had a few old heads, Craig Bellamy with the head injury assessments, um, Cam Smith with the slowing of the game. The, they, they wanted it through experience rather than being, you know, more enthusiastic, if you like. So if you take that experience out of the team, I think they'll still be a top eight, top four team. But in three years' time, are they, have they got enough experience to get over the hump? I'm, that I'm not sure about. I think Craig Bellamy will be a big loss. I don't think it's going to be easy to replicate him. Look, I think what you say is important going forward is how much we're going to find out how much of that culture is driven specifically by Bellamy or how much it's been embedded into the ethos of the club in the next couple of years. Because to me, there was a comment that Craig Bellamy made when I was reading about some coaches and they mentioned Cam Smith and his, this comment stuck with me and explains why they're so well drilled and always in playing at peak performance is he said I don't care if you're the best player in the world if you're not fit you're not playing and I think if you take that ethos and that comment that applies to the way they are they're always in shape they're always ready to play they're always ready to go and now it's going to be a matter of like you say if Smith goes and Bellamy goes is how much of it was them and how much how much of that is still going to be at the club I still can't believe that Jason Riles is going to be a head coach i Going back and watching, remembering Jason Rolfe's playing for Saints and the way he kind of was as a character, it's, it's, it seems like he's matured enormously. And um, I mean, it's great to see, but he was never a player that I would have thought would end up as a head coach. 
Like you said, to me, it's all about their development. The Storm have always been about player development. Pappenheisen hinted at it when I went there. They they had specific programs to address his his um, hamstring issues. You know, he's a player with his size that at any other club would not be playing first grade at all. And that's sad because I think that that's a ridiculous stereotype of you've got to be a certain size. And yet the guy who's, you know, been an engine for Melbourne and been a game breaker is one of the smallest players in the competition. Sure. But I mean, but I mean, how much did the rules and the fatigue in the game this year help him? It does. But I think last year he was dominant. You know, I want to probably give you a little bit of a stab, but you remember when Parra was looking great and Melbourne beat them by 60-odd to 6. He was he tore no, Parra to I shreds. Recall, I, va- yeah. I vaguely recall that game. <laughs> but he tore Parra to shreds. It's just, I think they see the talent and they work and develop that talent. They don't look at the size necessarily. Where they're really good at, you've got to remember, the heartland from for, for up until the 80s, up until the Winfield Cup and the Brisbane Broncos got admitted into the comp, whilst the Queensland Rugby League wasn't as strong as the New South Wales Rugby League, they were still producing excellent players. And when the Broncos came in, they collected a lot of the origin players. But those players that are not necessarily origin level are still being produced in Queensland because it is the dominant sport up there. And what Melbourne has done better than anyone else is tap into that as a development opportunity. The QRL, the looking at Logan and Souths in Queensland and all that sort of stuff, they're actually really good identifying talent and saying these guys are act- can actually do a job for us. They may not win us the game, but they'll... they'll they can do a job for us. And that's what they're amazing at recruiting. And they, they bring those people into the Melbourne system and they go, I just want you to do these three things during the game. And if you do these three things, I'll keep picking you. And that clarity of what is expected of me, you know, is, is I can't, I, I don't think it can be underestimated. Now, does that carry the same amount of weight if Jason Riles is saying it versus Craig Bellamy? By all accounts, Jason Riles is an exceptional coach. Eddie Jones from the English rugby team and formerly of the Wallabies, Who's who's a, a big fan of rugby league and, and a great coach in his own right and an angry man, angry man, a big rap on Jason Riles. So there's a lot of people that are good judges that are that that are, that are rating him. So it, it it really will be interesting. Will anyone outside of Penrith and Camp and Melbourne next year win it? I can't see it to be honest. I think South has got a real shot. Souths, Canberra, Roosters, Para, none of them can win it. I think Para still has the ability to, but they need to address a few things. I think it's going to be the same six. I mean, out of those six, the only team from any outside any of those that I can see possibly breaking into that six is the Titans. And that's because I think they've recruited well, if they're all trained well. And I think now they've got a young half that had the ability of a superstar and Ash Taylor, who's more comfortable. He's confident. I don't think the Titans can win the comp, though. I don't think they can win the comp, but I mean breaking into that sort of top six. In terms of the comp, honestly... I can't see anyone outside of those top six. I think they can all win the comp. question was, is there anyone outside of the top two that you can see coming in and winning it next year? Probably Souths. Souths is the team. If Well, you've got Latrell Mitchell coming back. Where does Latrell play? I thought Corey Allen did a great job at the back. They'll probably move maybe back to the centres. Do you reckon? He's on, don't they want to pay him fullback money? They want to retain him and pay him fullback money? And the rumour is they're still in the hunt for Josh Adokar, despite what Wayne Bennett says. If they got Adokar and Alex Johnson on each wing, and they've got some decent centres, they'd be... And Latrell Mitchell they, they, and Cody Walker. Oh, my God. that That's like the back line. But don't they need some forwards? I, I know they've got Cam Murray, but... Yeah, probably. Probably a little bit more depth in the forwards, I think. Uh, Souths are solid in the forwards. With one or two, like Cam Murray, and then they're solid. If Souths equal the forward line, they've got an amazing attacking ability. 
I think, what do you think of the Roosters next year? Are they done? They looked a bit old in the bigger games this year. I don't think they're done because they're the Roosters and I trust the way they also develop their players. I just wonder if they've got the talent coming through or they have enough time to blend them into a premiership team. But their team is a little bit older next year. All the old guys this year, again, are a little bit older. You've got Jared Warrior Hargraves is getting on a little bit. He's their forward leader. You've got the, the Morris brothers are a little bit older. T, I'm, I'm not sure about the Roosters. They'll be up there because they're just so professional and so well-drilled and really a really good team. They've got Kiri, But I don't know if they quite have you know outright premiership sort of contention ability at the moment. Have to wait and see, I think. And any chance um, Canterbury? With, with Kyle Flanagan there, after his impressive end to the season. Great end to the season, so we've decided to pay him, apparently, Ben Hunt money. I don't know. No, it's, I've heard three. I've heard a, a, one, $1.1 million over three years is what I've heard. Oh, well, that's okay. that's worth a gamble. That's a, that's the going rate then for a young half with some talent, right? So, But yeah, I reckon it would be a great season if we finish 15th. Oh, sorry, 6th. No, no, 13th. <laughs> so the Panthers have, re-sign, oh, have signed Matt Eisenhuth. And Robert Jennings is back to Penrith. They do have a few players that are also leaving, uh, obviously headlined by James Tamo. Um, Jack Hetherington obviously has already been announced as a second rower at uh, Canterbury because they need another. We need another back rower. And plus we need one. He, he's actually a good signing because Jack Hetherington's tough. And by the looks of his disciplinary record, we'll probably get sent off a couple of times next year. And then that gives some of the other back rowers an opportunity to play. So he's a good team squad player that way. Yeah, and Caleb Aikens, Malachi Wateni, Zelezniak's been let go as well. Pat Hollis and Braden McGreedy. So there's, there's, uh, you know, I think, I think Malachi Wateni, Zelezniak's worth a shot. I was going to say that he he looked okay in that side for a couple of games, and he's only really young. I think he's only like nineteen. I probably will bet he'll end up at the Dogs because we've got his brother. Maybe, maybe. I'd imagine that that you know that usually happens. I mean, Paris Paris signed Tom Opacic, which I think is a great signing. Good defensive center. Good signing. He, he needs to improve his attack. He'll, he's going to give Wonga Blake some run for his money on that that edge. Isaiah Papali, after a couple of years at the Warriors, um, and Joey Lusick is coming in as a backup hooker to Reed Marnie, which we which we absolutely needed. We had poor Ray Stone go in there when when. Good signing. Joey Lussick um, played pretty well for the Roosters, I thought, in a couple of um, big games. You know, he did a good job. He's not a superstar, but he, he can play. He's um, a good little hooker. A couple of good signings, and it looks like they've signed Bryce Cartwright. Yeah, it looks like they've signed Bryce Cartwright on a one-year deal. That one I'm less sure about. Worth a shot. Worth a shot, depending on the money, right? If he, But this is probably his last shot, right? How many chances does Bryce Cartwright get after this? I mean, it is rugby league, but... Well, what does it show you, T? How much talent the guy's got, right? He's basically a halfback and a creative force. You know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of Faletti Matteo. There were games where he wasn't trying. I never thought Faletti Matteo wasn't trying. Oh, no, not from that perspective. I'm just talking about skill perspective. Like, in terms of being able to offload and read the game and spatial awareness, he's... He's, he's a brilliant player, but yeah, I mean, if there's games where he's just not trying, and I said it earlier in the year, and I still stand by this, if you can't, for a player that creative and the ability to use the ball, maybe the environment didn't suit him, but if you can't play for Holbrook and Dimmick, who allow players to play and use their skills, who are you going to play for? Uh, sorry, I, I've just 35 minutes to get a Jim Dimmick reference in. It's one of your better better performances this year. I've been holding it on for a couple of weeks. I had to throw <laughs> you in there. <laughs> <laughs> have you? 
Love it's like, it's like a bit of nicotine for this podcast. You know, right. you, you always go back. But I just mean that in they're very free in the way they like to play football, which suits him as a player, and yet he didn't work there either. They got rid of him as fast as they could. So Yeah, but the issue was he wasn't he wasn't trying, right? He wasn't trying. I mean, just I, I think this is his last chance. And he was in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. You know, it's interesting. I just wonder what Gold Coast are going to do with the hooker position. They've let go of Nathan Peets. I, I wonder if they're holding a spot open for Cam Smith. It's interesting, right? Mal's there. He's friends with Cam. Family wants to stay in Queensland. Look, I do think he's... I'm leaning towards he's going to retire and not play, but it wouldn't surprise me if he does one year at um, the Gold Coast Titans. We could talk about Will Melbourne. They're going to probably lose Addo Carr, although who knows? He's going everywhere at the moment. No one really knows. So Melbourne's going to have some change. You, you watch that left-hand side. Addo Carr just gave them a speed and acceleration and a danger. At, at that... one point, they were talking about the Bulldogs and Remus Smith being the swap for him because he's got another year under his contract at Melbourne, and Melbourne have said they're only going to send him to Sydney if they can get a replacement. That's right. So apparently, if he goes to the dog, the rumour was it's Remus Smith. But honestly, who knows what's the truth at the moment? He's been, he's been everywhere. Apparently, he's going to sign with the Tigers, and like you said, now Souths are involved. Um, you know, the Roosters can free up money, I suppose, you know, so... Well, they're going after Suwali, aren't they? Well, they've signed him, apparently, yeah. Have they? Has that been signed, official? Yep, that's official. Um, I think he fell under the spell of Sonny B. Williams as well. So, you know, once you meet Sonny, that's it. It's a, it's a done deal, so... So, you know, they're going to have some change. If Cam Smith, like you said, goes... And Harry Grant's a very different player. He's got the same smarts, but he's a, he's he's... For me, he's a hybrid between Cam Smith and Damian Cook to some degree. He's a little bit of Robbie Farah, actually, if I think about it. He's a, he gets out of dummy half and he, he, he goes across field and looks to ball play, but he, he does that a lot more than Cam Smith. Cam Smith sort of picks his spots a bit more, but Harry Grant loves to sort of get out of dummy half and create stuff. Um, so it'll change the way they play a little bit. But Melbourne... I don't know. I just think they'll be up there again. If Bellamy's still there, they'll you know grab some kid from the bush or some guy like Brinko Lee that no one else wanted. And before you know it, the, you know they will be performing at a great level, and the team will just keep on winning. So I expect them to be up there again. But there'll be a few changes to their side next year. It'll be interesting to see how that all works out. Yeah, and Craig Bellamy's last year, right? So it's going to be a farewell tour of sorts. Oh, how about Craig Bellamy during the grand final? We didn't talk about that. He's great. Well, I didn't see it. I only saw I only saw highlights afterwards. He was like kicking the chair into the wall. They're up 22-0 and he's like, man, stuff. He's, no wonder they're all fit. They'd be so shit scared of the guy. He's just, he's a real character to watch in the box. He's, he's, a nut, he's nuts. He's crazy. Well, he really, he really rides every tackle and every mistake. And Oh, yeah. It's like... <laughs> I, I will say watching footy um, under COVID restrictions is a bit odd because yeah. the seating arrangements like a checkerboard, you can only stay on the level you're at. You can't you mix with people from other levels. Um, lots of masks. I was wearing a mask. Uh, it was great. It was great to go out and watch the footy and, and have a great day, but it was a real odd odd, um, odd thing. Like The sooner we can get back to normal, the better. So the, the, good, the one thing I did want to ask is you did have a bet with your wife. I did have a bet so, with my and wife. And you lost. I won. No, you won. won. Sorry, that's right, Melbourne. It's good that you've been paying attention. You, ha- you haven't listened back to the previous pod because it's uh, because it's still in your Atari. It, yeah. Well, at least if it's an Atari, it's not an Atari ST, unfortunately. How did you break the floppy disk that you saved the pod on? Just out of curiosity, the five and a quarter. What did you do with the hole in the middle of that disk? I just used scissors like old school. <laughs> just cut, cut it apart. Yeah. Did you? Excellent. I'll blame Excellent. the cat. Can I blame the cat? I won the bet. So I won the bet with my wife. Uh, just for the record... I have let her off the bet. 
because as those of you that are married out there knows, if she wins, she gets to fulfill, I have to fulfill my side of the bet. But if she loses, all best. She still wins. Correct. Correct. Um, <laughs> it was bittersweet. I can never go for Melbourne. I hate Melbourne as a para supporter, particularly after 2009 when the one guy that was let go because of the salary cap dramas was the Clive Churchill medalist. Um, Greg Inglis, who ended up going to South. So I'll who's never that? Never that. heard of him. He was he was average, wasn't he? Yeah, he was pretty average. And so I can't. And, and of course, the Panthers because of the bet, I couldn't go for them. So it was really that's probably what made it odd for me. Not the COVID stuff. It was just I'm sitting there going, I don't want either of these teams. To yeah, just win. no emotion whatsoever. Not invested in the win. Can we have a draw? Yeah, have we ever had a draw? Can we just have, can, can 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 both teams walk off the field as losers on grand final day? Is that possible? It, it is. It's not not anymore. The the old draw stuff's done with. So no, no, you, no. You never can. You never could in rugby league. It's, it always goes to extra time. Although they were going to do it if it was a draw in grand final in the AFL this year, they were going to play extra time. But the the AFL, if there's a draw at the game, they they re, they replay the following week. I still think that's a a good thing. I don't think you want to lose a grand final on sudden death. You know, I mean, in 2015, so like Broncos, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah but. Like, uh, you know, you play 10 minutes each way, and if it's still tight at the end, you, you come that was back one, That was probably the best game I've been at. That was a sensational game. In live, in person, that was one of the best games I've been at. That that and the year that and the year we won Origin uh, under Laurie Daly, when Laurie Daly was coach, and, and I flew up from Melbourne to watch that one. So that was sensational as well. Yeah, I didn't see that one, but um, I watching... Um that grand final, it was a, it was just a great game. It wasn't just the ending; it was actually a really high quality game as well. So, but yeah, so congratulations to Melbourne. I mean, really, are we surprised? Their records astonishing, really, since Bellamy took over. It is incomparable, and well, it's co- it is comparable. The Dragons did eleven in a row. It is comparable. Yeah, but that's in the sixties. Like, things were very different back then. But aren't you using computer hardware from the sixties? No, probably the late seventies. I reckon early eighties. So yeah, I'm a bit more in the Parramatta Parramatta dynasty stage and the Bulldogs dynasty stage. Rumor has it your setup at home is like the Batcave from the nineteen sixties TV show. <laughs> if I could get my hands on, you know, the Robin spandex outfit, I'd probably put that on as well. And just Are you wearing my, it now wall, as we do no, this pod? No, my wall to wall computer. That's, that's, you've got to turn the dials. You've yeah. got to turn the dials and press the buttons. The, the good thing is my, my webcam isn't working either, so I could be wearing that and no one knows. Probably best for everybody. All right. Moving on to State of Origin. Game one in Adelaide is next Wednesday. The teams have been announced. Uh, I'll go through the 17. Of course, they've announced 27, so they've had to, had to, I think they've cut it down to 21, and then there's, they've announced the 17 that are, that are injuries permitting that... Uh, they're planning on starting. Yep. So so with, we'll start with the Blues. This is the back line. Tedesco, Tupu, Clint Gutherson at right centre, Jack Whiten, Josh, Addo, Josh Adokar, Luke Keary, Nathan Cleary, Daniel Saifidi, Damian Cook, Junior Paulo, Boyd Cordner, Tyson Frizzell, Jake Trebojevic. On the interchanges, Cody Walker, Payne Haas, Cam Murray, and Angus Crichton. A um, couple of things there. Luke Keary and Clint Gutherson are making their debut. Um, along with Junior Paulo. Uh, can I just say, Clint Gutherson's being played out of position at right centre. I think defence, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he goes. I think he's on a bit of a hiding to nothing being played out of position in his debut. Um, I think Junior Paulo will be great. I don't think Boyd Cordner's had the best of seasons, and I don't think Jerbo, Jake Trebojevic, has had the best of seasons either. So there, there are a couple of things to watch out. I think it's a good decision to have Cody Walker on the bench. Ryan Pappenheisen's been ruled out of game one because of an injury, calf injury. 
but presumably will be back in contention for game two and three. Um, obviously coached by Brad Fittler. I'll go on to the Queensland Maroons team. Now, this is interesting. Eight debutants, right? And a few interesting selections here. AJ Brimson. Really, he was, you could argue him and Pappenheisen were the two best fullbacks over the last 10 weeks of the year. So, AJ Brimson had a good end to the season, yes. Brilliant end to the season. Yeah, when he came back from injury. Xavier Coates, or as the Argentinians like to call him, Coates. Yeah. So he's our first Argentinian state of origin representative, is he? I don't... I don't know if X exists in the Argentinian alphabet, though. So Javier Coates. Javier, yeah, Javier, it could work, yeah. AJ Brimson, Javier Coates, Branko Lee, Dane Gagai. I don't think the centers are great. I've got to be honest with you. Philip Sammy, Cam Munster, Daly Cherry Evans, Christian Welsh, Jake Friend, which is interesting because I would have picked Harry Grant. Wow. Josh Papali, Felici Kafusi, Cohen Hess. How the hell did he get in there? He's had a horrible season. Oh, he's been terrible. And anyway, moving on. On the bench is Ben Hunt, Lindsay Collins, Jay Arrow, and Jaden Sewer. Um, there's eight debutants: Lindsay Collins, Jaden Sewer, Jake Friend, Philip Sami, Brenko Lee, Xavier Coates, and AJ Brimson. Looking at these teams on paper, G, I hate to say this as a New South Wales supporter, whilst I think there's a couple of areas you can attack New South Wales. Do these guys have? Any, does Queensland have any chance in this game? I mean, it's Origin, of course they do, but but on paper, the game's not played on paper. This has got the looks of the Fatty Vorton side. You know, it's an intense game. It's almost like an all-star game is the way I look at it as well. But I think, it, you know, any player is capable of rising to the occasion for one or two games. You've had numerous instances throughout the years where, you know, players that can't necessarily play great games every week in the NRL or whatever it is can then raise their game at an origin level because everything's a build up to this one game that you play every couple of weeks and you know the hype and the adrenaline but I think the whole thing I think the dominance of Queensland over a long period of time sort of made people think they have a lot more depth than they do they just happen to have all the best players in all the positions come through at one time but when you scratch the surface beyond those players like the Inglises and Slaters and all these guys there wasn't that much there beyond that and I think we've gotten to that point where all those players have kind of moved on now. And I'm with you, like, like Brinko Lee has been okay for the Storm. He had a good good defensive game in the prelim and the first half, Melbourne versus uh, the Storm, uh, Melbourne versus Panthers, obviously. Yeah, but I mean, Philip Sammy showed some ability here and there, but he wasn't great every week. I mean, he built into his game and got better, I think, towards the end of the season. But would I have looked at Philip Sammy and thought he's a state of origin winger or even Coates? No. It's really interesting. Cohen Hess has had a, a, a terrible season. Ben Hunt has been awful for Saints. Yeah. You know, they're kind of, it's almost like they're picking anybody who has any ability that's a Queenslanders in the team, not on the squad. They're in the team. Yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a, on paper, you can't see how they win it. The, goal, the game's obviously not paying. T, like, Homer Hunt has played okay for the Knights, and he's, he's in the reserve, you know, not in the reserve first 17, but in, the, you know, the standby players. Yeah, I mean, God, Kurt Capewell. I mean, I think he's a decent player, but you know, there's players there that I would never think would be really, really close to an Origin seventeen, and they're there or in it. Any, anything else you want to add, then, G? Well, I'm, I'm just on the New South Wales team. I think it it can be got at. I think like I mean, we're we're sort of saying I'm surprised Gagai and Brinko Lee are there, but I mean, Clint Gutherson 
his ability to pop up and really follow the play and make impose himself on the game. I mean, how's he going to do that from the center? And he's not the fastest guy in the world. Well, no, that's okay at center. You don't have to be necessarily quick as long as you don't miss tackles at center and you run. In attack, that's the problem that I think with Clint Gutherson there is is that centers have to run hard and straight and not miss tackles, right? Clint Gutherson is at his best when he can pop up all over the field, where he picks and chooses where he interjects into the game. So it'll be interesting to see how he handles being on one side of the field and running in a straight line. Do you know what? I think your comments about some of the players, the more I think look at this team... I don't know if New South Wales is necessarily playing that great. It appears as though they have the names, but if I look at Tedesco and Brimson was brilliant. Tedesco played well towards the end of the year, and it is, you know, Teddy, but nevertheless, Brimson was sensational. Coates Tupu, I think Tupu's a great winger, um, but Coates is tallish as well, and he's quite fast. But like you said, Gutherson, Brinko Lee is a bit of a wash. I know, dude. I think I think you can get it. The New South Wales team. Yeah, I really yeah. Do. Look, I really do. But I don't think Queensland's got the talent to do it. They've got to play out of their skin. They've got to play out of their skin. Well, they do, but you know, you got Munster and Cherry Evans. They're just as good as Cleary and Kiri. In fact, in fact, can I can I just say I think Munster and Daly Cherry Evans at Origin level mm. will be the better the better halves combination. But I look at Origin and I go, it's it's the most old-fashioned style of game you can get, right? It's a, a lot. It's very high intensity, which a lot of the games have been this year. But yeah, the forwards are really critical in Origin. Yeah, really critical. And I look at that forward pack of the the Queensland Maroons and I go, don't know how you can win it. I mean, I like Tino. I think Tino's a great player and he's a great signing for the Gold Coast Suns. But Tino's a fifty-minute player, like at most. Yeah. Yep, and then you've got Lindsay Collins, who's still, you know, kind of a baby, um, experience-wise. Josh Parley and Christian Welsh are good props. Uh, Jake Frandall, I'm not sure. I would have had Harry Grant there. I think before you made a good point, T, about, you know, the form of Cordner and Frizzell and, and Jake Trebojevic. And I think um, you, you mentioned that the forwards play a massive role. So it's in a state of origin game, so... Well, I, I think, I think, I just think... And it's an odd state of origin. Three weeks in a row, twenty-seven people in camp. Uh, you're together for three weeks, so I'm not sure how that impacts the game. But I do think this Blues team can can be got at. But I just I just don't know that the Maroons have got the firepower. I do think they've got the better halves and potentially the most informed fullback as well. So, but if Tedesco's ruled out, then presumably Clint Gutherson goes to fullback. Who goes into right centre? Don't really know. I think that's oh, probably um, Zach Lomax. You think that they'll bring Zach Lomax in? Yeah, I think they will. There's no one really else. Oh, maybe Co- they might play Cody Walker at centre. Who knows? Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think it's probably Zach Lomax comes in for his debut. It's just a straight swap and easy. Um, and then they'd keep Cody Walker off the bench sort of as an X factor. Although I really think Cody Walker probably should start. But um, look, for me, anyway... You know, I, actually, I, w- I would have picked Cody Walker over Luke Keary. I would have. I just think he adds that bit of magic in, like you say, a game that's usually pretty old school, beat him up. And I just, I don't know, I just don't think the forwards for New South Wales have been in that that good a form. Cody Walker on the bench is very specific. Like, it's not like he can play on the wing. So you're actually better off having having Zach Lomax on the, on, on the bench because he can cover all the three-quarter positions. Probably. I think it's just probably a bit of that X factor to throw him in there to change the course of the game if things are tight, I think, from from Freddie Fittler. Yeah, maybe he's thinking of it from that angle. Look, I think the key is, honestly, I always think Adokar is a 
is a massive key because I think he won him the state of origin last year and the year before just with the, the sheer chaos he caused in the Queensland defence. And I think Cook and Paulo are going to be the big X factors for New South Wales. I think if they play well, I think New South Wales wins. If Cook and Paulo struggle, I don't really see where else they kind of get the push from, if you know what I mean. I think it's a bit yeah. of a wash once you go past those two. They're the, they're the X-factor players for me. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. But I do think New South Wales will win. I don't think they'll hammer them, but I, but I think it could be 10 points. Yeah, I'm probably going to go for New South Wales. I think they've got the bit, the more stronger overall team. But if Queensland can jag a win, I think you'll find Alexander Brimson is probably the guy that's going to make the difference. I can't really see. It'll be a team effort, but he's the guy that'll be the X factor that breaks the game apart. Oh, Brinko Lee. <laughs> it's not going to be through his defence. All right, that brings us to a close of this week's GNT show. We will be back more regularly now that G has upgraded his computer to the Sega Mega System. So the, the Sega will... Mega System, it's a Mega Drive and whatever. Uh, look, whatever. an Amiga. I think I'll the take me- an Amiga. The, How about an Amiga? The Mega System. The Mega System was a little-known version of the Mega Drive released <laughs> okay, before the it. Mega Drive. <laughs> Your technology situation, you know when I made the reference to MySpace? It's about 40 years ahead of your technology situation in the Batcave. The, the good thing is I actually, body shape-wise, probably suit the 60s version of Batman as well. It doesn't have the muscles. Well, I just think, I just think you know what, you build your, you build your own Batcave at Belmore Car Park, the Wi-Fi is better, we're in good shape. It probably is better. If I could probably <laughs> sit there and use the train Wi-Fi that goes past. All right, well, that brings us to a close this week. We look forward to being with you again next week and we'll, we'll, we'll go through some of our observations of past origins and teams and people who might have been a bit unlucky to miss out of origin all right go well g and thank you for listening you too t um speak to you next week